Welcome to the Enlightened Practice Podcast, brought to you by the Luminello Electronic Medical Record folks. Here are your hosts, Dr. Ken Braslow and Dr. Carrie Kagan. Hi, Carrie. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Ken. Thanks for having me. Today, we have a question from a listener about preparing for maternity leave. And I thought that this would be a great topic for us to explore, uh, knowing that yeah. you have experienced this yourself. And a yep. uh, lot to think about from the business side of things. Of course, it's uh, exciting time and maybe an emotionally overwhelming time, or at least very powerful. But there's a lot to think about just from a day-to-day how to run your business point of view. And so while there's a lot we could be talking about emotionally uh, as a clinician or how you process it with your clients and patients on a, on a psychotherapeutic level, I think today I, we should talk a little bit about just how does this affect the day-to-day management of, of your, your practice, which is your business. And so... Yeah, I'm curious to get your take. I myself have been on paternity leave, but I get that that is not the same thing. And so I can also talk a little bit about my own experience with it. But uh, let's start um, with maternity leave. When do you even start thinking about this? Are you thinking about this before you are even pregnant or once you're pregnant? Or take me through how you approached it. Yeah, I think it's... um probably something that mostly you start thinking about once once you're pregnant and and uh you know getting through some of the initial stages of pregnancy feeling a bit more confident in your pregnancy but certainly it's worth thinking about before even potentially going into private practice just if you know that you would like to start a parenting journey at some point it's worth getting starting to collect some information about what that looks like in private practice because it probably does look a little bit different than working for an employer. Um, so there might be some thinking that goes into it then. Um, and maybe just for listeners today, this might help them to start to understand what it looks like. Um, but yeah, mostly I, in, in my experience, I really start to think about it actually when, when I start to feel a bit more comfortable in the pregnancy. So pretty much after the first trimester has been when I start to think more seriously about what the plan should be in terms of timing and telling clients. Um, But for the first trimester, I usually am kind of just uh, in a take it day by day uh, process for uh, the first 10, 12 weeks kind of thing. Um, And then I start to come up with a more serious plan. That makes a lot of sense. Don't want to get ahead of yourself and you don't want to reorganize your entire life. On the same token, you these things need to be thought about at least, even if you don't have to act on them right away. So so what has been your approach in the past for when you do start to think about telling your clients? Is there a particular uh, week of pregnancy that you're aiming for, or does it vary based on where the client or the patient's at in their therapy process? 
It really does vary. It depends on your pregnancy journey. It depends on your, where you're at with a client and therapy. There's so many factors to consider. Um, for example, um, this ha- I didn't personally have this experience, but I know for people who are having twins, the timing in which they tell people is different usually than when you're not having twins. Sometimes it's because you're showing earlier and you kind of have to if you're in person. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's because um, those are higher risk pregnancies and you can have to leave earlier than you were expecting. So you need to give clients a little bit more time. So Definitely, there's a lot of variables to consider that are going to change from person to person. For me, if I had the, if it could be totally my choice how I want to do it, um, I I did have an ideal week I would wait toward it or wait till, and that took into consideration both my needs and the client. So for me, that was always like the 20 week mark. The reason for that is because um, there's, at least in California, I don't know how this is in other places, but there's a pregnancy scan that you get around the 20-week mark that gives you a lot of information about the health of the baby. So for me, in terms of sharing a bit of a more vulnerable thing I'm going through, which is being pregnant, I always wanted to try to wait till I had as much information as possible to give me relative confidence that this, you know, was going to be a a viable pregnancy and all of that kind of stuff. Um, And I also feel like that 20 week mark still gives a lot of notice for and a lot of time to work through it with clients and to come up with a plan for when you're gone. So if I could totally have control over the situation, that's the point um, I would ideally wait for. But I know that a lot of like, sometimes people are feeling really sick and they decide that they need to tell people, I might not be able to be around as much Mm because I need to leave session to go take care of myself. So you really have to find the right balance between, you know, what you're comfortable with in terms of what you feel like sharing with a client and when some people are okay sharing a lot of information with their clients and some people want to keep things private. So just finding the right balance between like what your personal desires are in terms of what you want to share with clients and when, um, and then also maintaining professional, um, uh, some kind of professional duty, like giving enough time for a client to really prepare in a meaningful way for when you're gone. So you're helping them to prepare for uh, not only maternity leave after, but also that you may not be available up until the very day that you are giving birth. And how do you think about, uh, just from a just pure logistical point of view, do you keep, did you keep scheduling clients as you were getting uh, toward higher number of weeks, but you told them there's possibility we may not be meeting? Or did you just say, okay, after this certain point, I'm not meeting with clients? Yes. Again, I think, it's going to vary so much depending on your pregnancy and what you're wanting in terms of how much time you want to prepare. For me, I always gave a date that I planned to take leave based on how much time I wanted before having a baby. For me, that changed from two weeks at one maternity leave to one week before the due date with a different one. Um, and I always 
share the caveat that, you know, we make our best plans when it comes to pregnancy and who knows what's going to happen. So most people really understand that and are flexible. So what I do is with a bunch of notice, I say, okay, hey, I'm going to be leaving October 1st. And if anything were to happen before then, this person, as in one of my colleagues, will be reaching out to you and letting you know, and our plan, whatever plan we had come up with before then will go into place earlier than we were expecting. So I do let them know that someone else might be contacting you, letting you know, I'm actually not going to be coming to our session next week, which did actually happen. And everyone, of course, is so understanding. But as far as when you decide you want to um, leave, I mean, it can really, that's really personal. Some people want 10 weeks in a, of time off before they have the baby. Some people want one day. So it mm. really depends. And how about for after the due date? How did you think through how much time you wanted to take off? Yeah. Again, first of all, I'll say that the whole yes. time, very personal. Yeah. You have to factor in fi- finances. How much time do I feel I can take off? And, and if there are practical responsibilities that you have to your family or bills, to pay all that kind of stuff, that definitely influences how much time you take. Of course, how much you know time you want to be spending with with your baby, and it's just not always an easy. Um, there, there's not always a yeah an ideal time because it's probably never enough time with the baby. Um, so it really depends. You, I think that's a good. Some that's also when you're going on leave. It's good. I how I've always approached it is I did my best to guess what I thought would be the right amount of time for me, especially when I was a first time mom and I had no idea. Like some people can't wait to go back to work. Some people decide they never want to go back to work. So I did my best to give some kind of timeline, which I think was 12 weeks. And then I said, and also I might need some flexibility um, because I did want to give myself that option to decide, you know, maybe I'm going to want more time. Maybe there's going to be some health issues. You just never know. So I did, you know, I think that just you do your best to try to pick a time that works for you practically, emotionally, all that kind of stuff. And then I think it's helpful to share that with a client so they have some understanding of what they're, what's ahead. And then, um, and then give yourself, leave the door open a little bit to change the plan as well. Um, And I could talk about uh, how, Uh, like different options I give to clients in terms of how to leave and what to do in the meantime and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I don't know. I was curious. That sounds great. (laughs) What kind of options do you give them? (laughs) Yeah. I usually give them like pretty much, I think I lay it out. Like there's three options. So there's what it again, really depends on where I'm at with a client, but sometimes it's, a nice time to work toward a termination. Like if we feel, if we know we have four months left before I go um, and this is how far we are into our treatment, that might be enough time to actually work toward termination. And so sometimes that ends up becoming our goal that the plan is to actually 
finish treatment together before then. And as with any client, when we terminate, they're welcome to reach back out and all that kind of stuff. But that would that would be the end of the relationship unless I heard back from them. So there's that. So coming up with a plan to work toward a termination. Sometimes um, the other option I'll give people is just to pause and then resume. So that could be a good option for people who are pretty stable, who I've usually worked with for a decent amount of time. They've made some progress and it's a good opportunity for them to practice a lot of the stuff that we've been working on on their own and will come up with a plan for like how they can be working on that stuff while I'm gone. Um, set some goals so they have so they feel like they have some concrete stuff to hold on to while I'm gone. Um, and we'll just pause and then we'll we'll resume once I'm back. And I that actually is the option I would say most people pick for me personally. And then sometimes there's uh, the other option we get people is to see someone else, and that could be either temporary or um, permanent. And I've had it both ways that sometimes they see someone as a placeholder just to kind of check in with, um, kind of have some accountability for whatever they're working on. And then once I'm back, sometimes they come back and we pick back up or they actually decide, hey, I'm liking the progress I'm making with this person. I'm going to stick with them. Um, and for anyone, I always give them referrals. Like even if we terminate I'll just say, here's three people that you can contact if if anything changes. Because what I don't want is people to email me on leave and then I can't get back to them and it's some kind of crisis situation or they really need help. So I just cover my bases in that. I, regardless of what they want, I'm just like, here's some names. Take, the, take those names. Yeah. And if you need help, this is who you can call. And that's nice because then you kind of know you've covered all your bases and you can actually take your break, your leave, and not, hopefully not worry too much about how your clients are doing. Wow, you have really thought this through in a really <laughs> comprehensive way. There's so many intricacies there. How, how do you think about um, coverage while you're out? I mean, what you're saying is yeah. is designed to reduce the need for coverage at all, but it's uh, maybe not foolproof. And so what's your thought process um, behind coverage? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard because you also can't predict people's availability. Although I do find that when it's, when you ask someone to cover for you for a short period of time, sometimes they're more willing to make themselves available, even if they're not always available usually at that time or yeah, when you're gone. Um, So I think about the, the thing for lack of a better word that I'm working on with a client. And then if I know people in my network who uh, have experience or specialize in a certain diagnosis or treatment Mm -hmm. that I'm working on with someone such as OCD or something like that, then those would be the people that I reach out to and, and, you know, personally ask for a favor, basically Um, like, can you provide coverage? This is in your wheelhouse. And, um, if the client gives permission, you could also consult with that person before you go and catch them up a little bit on what you've been working on. Um, I think a client could also probably fill some like a provider in on that as well, but sometimes they want you to do that work for them. So that's something you can sure. offer. 
Um, so, and if I don't specifically know someone that has a certain specialty or something that I'm working on, then I would just reach out to a broader network. And it might be that I refer um, one of my clients to someone that I don't personally know, which is always a bit scary because you want to know like that they're in good hands. But at the same time, if it's coming from a friend of a friend or a colleague of a colleague, it might be the best that we can do to basically give them a lead and see where that goes. But usually I do try to find someone who I know has some experience in whatever it is that I'm working on with the client. Um, That's so you custom yeah. tailor it. It's not just yeah. one colleague who <laughs> bears the brunt yeah. of covering your entire practice. No, that would be too a lot, yeah, for one person. Got it. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. And what do you? Th um, how do you approach taking on new clients? Yeah. You know, we've been talking about established relationships, and that's complex enough. What's right. your What's your take on new evaluation requests? Yeah, I, I usually for the kind of work that I do, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, I usually um, would pretty much stop taking new clients altogether when I'm down to about 12 weeks left. Because in my mind, having when, it, when we're talking about cognitive behavioral therapy, 12 weeks is a pretty solid amount of time to either potentially meet a treatment goal or to make a good amount of progress. If I had less than 12 weeks, I probably just wouldn't take a new client. Um, and in terms of before that, so let's say there's 20 weeks left or 25 weeks left, I actually do tend to tell new potential new clients that I'm pregnant a little bit earlier than I would tell um, a current client because I feel that it's, a, you know, I want them to be an informed part. Um, mm -hmm. And inform, I want them to have informed consent to therapy that they're not, I don't want them to, it's tricky, right? You don't want them to feel like trapped, like yeah. you take them on and then two weeks later tell them, by the way, I'm leaving in a few weeks. So, you know, it's still a good bout. You still need to find the balance you're comfortable with personally is in terms of sharing personal information with a client that you certainly don't have to share. Um, but you also want to maintain that like professional, um, honor the professional duty to like make sure clients have all the information and it can be disruptive. Um, so I actually do, even if I'm still taking new clients, I'll tell them potentially a little bit earlier um, so that they can be informed. Um, but yeah, I think at some point in a similar fashion, not taking new clients is also potentially the professionally right thing to do to make sure that you're actually able to provide reason, like ethical treatment in a reasonable amount of time, and you're not opening up, a, you know, a, a wound that you can't necessarily, not totally see through, but at least work through enough that that the client can go on for a few months without you. You know, that makes a that lot makes of sense. sense. Yeah. I'll make a pause here to invite our listeners to share this podcast with others if you find it useful. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, send us your questions and comments. Our email is enlightenedpractice at luminello.com. That's enlightenedpractice at luminello.com. Now, back to the conversation. 
And what about for when you're coming back from leave? At what point do do you wait till your first day back in the office to make sure, okay, I'm doing this, I'm back? Or would you consider starting that process with talking, screening or talking with potential new clients even before you're officially back? Yeah, this is what I love about private practice is the flexibility um, that you can kind of take your time coming back. So Mm -hmm. I have always reached out to previous clients before I'm actually coming back. So probably like three weeks before and I will let them know, hey, I'm planning to start to come back in a couple of weeks. Let's like start to talk through the schedule. Um, so I give priority to those people since they were probably waiting for me or we've already had an established relationship. Um, and I do that work while I guess I'm still technically on maternity leave. Um, and then usually I, ha- I, I don't start taking new people until I am fully back. So I want to see how does that feel. And, you know, one of yeah the benefits of private practice is you do get a little bit of flexibility. So I don't have to come back doing nine to five, five days a week, but I can start with fewer and see how that feels and work my way up. And it, it can be a, a slower process. So there's the financial element to consider there. Um, but that, yeah, so that's how I've done it. Yeah. Well, on that note with the financial process or the financial side of things, it's, of course, nobody wants to think about that. It's supposed to be a joyful time of life. And as an employee, your financial life doesn't get affected to the same degree as it would if you are, you're Uh, in solo practice but given that you're in solo practice to what degree what can you do uh, or for thinking about even uh, colleagues who might be thinking about getting pregnant what can they what any recommendations for them on minimizing their financial vulnerability here during this time or is it a matter of they just have to uh, deal with it. <laughs> you know, is there any in between? Yeah. Um, it's definitely, it can be a, a financial strain for sure. Anytime you take time off of work um, for whatever reason, I think that you can prepare. I think, you know, definitely doing things like making sure that you're setting aside savings for paying taxes and stuff like that. Um, to just to prepare for bills or expenses that you know, you're going to still have, even when you're not, um, even when you're not making income. So making sure you're saving for rent and stuff like that. So this is going to be one of those times that you're probably digging into your savings. Um, and so that's one way you can prepare is, prepares putting a little bit of extra money aside just in anticipation of needing to pay rent, needing to pay taxes, all that kind of stuff uh, when you're when the income isn't the same. Um, I think mentally preparing that that is coming and hopefully will be a short term temporary problem that can be incredibly stressful in the moment, but oftentimes does work its way 
you work through it and it evens out, like you don't even really remember the hit a year later kind of thing. But when you're in it, of course, it can feel really stressful. So I think um, financially preparing in that kind of way through savings, I think mentally and emotionally preparing that that is kind of part of um, it's to be expected when you are self-employed in private practice and you can't work. Um, I There are potentially some options for getting help through federally funded in federally funded ways. I don't know as much about that. I think you might have know know a little bit more about that and that's something to consider as well. Yeah, it's complicated. I just say I really like your your thoughts about emotionally preparing for the financial side of things. And there's unfortunately there's very limited options. There's FMLA, there's disability insurance, there's paid family leave. So even the terminology can get confusing, but most of those apply to employees. And I can speak to in California, uh, you have the option as a solo practitioner, uh, or if you're a sole owner of a corporation of not paying into disability and most people would probably not want to pay in but this is where you would be able to collect theoretically if you if you had been paying in and then i know the state also offers a specific program for those who are self-employed also but you probably cannot get benefits from it once you're pregnant. <laughs> if you haven't been paying into it before you were pregnant, uh, it's a, you have to do some real advanced planning in that regard. And if you're giving money to a state program, could you just be setting up another savings account in the bank and just having your money go there beforehand? I haven't looked into the actual economics of it, but psychologically you'd want to be doing something to prepare and this is where having a good sense of what your monthly budget is and what your annual budget is you know those are two different things a monthly budget will help you figure out how much uh, you need to typically have in the bank but if you have big one-time expenses that are gonna hit your bank account just and they just happen to come through while you're out, you also need to have extra buffer for that. So for example, although everybody in private practice who's a solo practitioner should be paying estimated taxes on a quarterly basis, uh, if you're not or if you're underpaying and you're going to be not having revenue come in when it is time to pay your annual tax bill, uh, that's going to be a really big hit. And you don't, you can get an extension on your tax returns, but you don't get an extension on the payment that's due. So those are really meaningful to think through. Most of our expenses are on a monthly basis, but this would also be a really good time to sit down with your financial planner or accountant and make sure that all your ducks are in a row so that 
you can really get into the process emotionally. I'd say the other thought is this is more of general, just talking about taking time off and practice and how hard that is. And that if you think of it as lost income, that's going to shape your experience of it psychologically in a different way than you think of it. And then if you think of it as time that you gained and can you, can you find the appreciation and can you be grateful for that extra time as opposed to just feeling it as a loss in, in a different sphere. So that applies to, to taking any time off, but then especially when you're talking about taking months potentially off, uh, it, it gets amplified. Yeah. And you, ideally, in those first few months of life, you it's exhausting as it is. And you don't want other extraneous concerns like finances to further exhaust you or get in the way of bonding with your, yeah. your little one. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, and also I'm just curious if the some of the things you have to consider before paternity leave, if it's pretty much the same as stuff that I was talking about or if there's any other things that you considered. Right. It's similar. It's not typically as lengthy a leave that is taken so it it doesn't requ- i think require this quite the same degree of advanced planning but from a meds point of view it does because if i'm going to see somebody in three months for a checkup well hold on wait a second um i gotta do the math and make sure so even though i may if it's a therapy patient I may, let's say, only take off a couple of weeks or a month or whatever it is that you might feel like from from the the dad's perspective, how much time you want to take off, either before the due date or after the baby's born. So for a therapy patient, that conversation comes up but much later in the process. But for a meds patient, ironically, it comes up much sooner because they need to know, can they book a follow-up with you? So it was a little bit of a head-scratcher when I was uh, seeing folks at around that five month point and not really knowing what I was going to be doing three months from then, or, or let's say um, in the six or seventh month point, it was really up in the air. Due dates are notoriously inaccurate. Yeah. And it was, it was hard to predict and I didn't want to schedule a lot of follow-ups and then have to cancel all of them a week or two before. And on the flip side, I didn't want to unnecessarily tell people, well, I'm not going to be able to see you then and either have to really front load it or have alternatively tell them I'm going to be out this whole time and I won't be able to see you, let's say for six months. And if they're stable, you know, can you see your primary care doc in the meantime? That that was a lot to wrestle with at that time. Yeah. So going into the process, I did take on fewer new patients because I knew that come month five, six, seven, I was going to be in this dilemma. 
So I just decided I'd rather not be in this dilemma. And I should probably take it easier anyway, given that all this stress that pregnancy brings, let alone uh, delivery and and after the baby is born. So I I kind of ducked the question by just taking on fewer patients and then not being put in that position. And fortunately, more most of my med patients were stable at that point. And I could say to them, uh, I, of course, gave them referrals. I could say to them, can you get a, ref- a refill from your primary care doc? Or if I knew that they were really stable, I, I snuck in a refill in between feedings uh, or, you know, uh, in the middle of the night. And that would have been harder to do if I were, if it were my first year in private practice and I didn't really know my clientele. But I knew most of them pretty well to very well. And so I felt comfortable doing that. And it was also a family decision. We... We weighed through the the pros and cons of all these different options and decided that this path worked for us, but understanding that it might not work for everyone else. So sure, yeah. So and then after uh, the baby was born, especially the second one, uh, I was exhausted, and there's nothing like being in session and a patient saying, "Wow, you look." horrible. (laughs) Uh, So uh, I tried to uh, approach it with some humility and grace. And uh, my my coffee consumption probably uh, escalated at that point uh, more than it had ever before. But, you know, so it's not just the pregnancy. It's how, how do you kind of reintegrate back into the world after? And I would say for a few months, I was just decided not to take on new patients. It was just too painful. And it was really once they were sleeping through the night that I thought, okay, yeah. now I think I can approach sanity again and and take this on. But then even then went slower. And you know, I really wanted to be present for my patients in session and not, you know, the even if I'm not, even if I'm present, the yawn, you know, that <laughs> deep yawn you feel when you just are so sleep deprived. Yeah. Uh, I really wanted to avoid that. And so yeah. I, I went slower, but yeah. had the luxury of doing that because I was a little bit more along in my career. So, right. so those are some of the considerations. And then I just took the financial hit. Yeah. There was no disability, no other income. So, yeah. That was that, but made it through. And I thought, I really liked your point about in a year, will you even remember this? In 10 years, will you even remember this? No. Yeah. It's highly unlikely. And it, but and I would say if it's if your financial situation is so precarious that it would be incredibly derailing, then maybe private practice isn't the right, you're not at the right stage of your life for private practice because it shouldn't be that you go bankrupt right? because you, you know, or you're going to lose your house or right. get kicked out of your apartment because you're not able to pay your bills. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. So those are some thoughts from the dad's perspective. Yeah, really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, and it sounds like just being a prescriber, there's some unique challenges. Yes, that's a good point. That would be there for yeah, yeah, whether you're um, maternity or paternity leave. Right. And then it speaks to having a good network of colleagues also. And we've talked about this in other episodes. And not that you're forming a network so they can cover for you, but that's part of the the perks of of having that and you doing it for them and realizing everybody goes through this. We're all just humans on earth together. And it's... Uh, it goes better when we are all generous with our time and willing to cover for each other, even if we may not love it. Um, we've all been there ourselves and yeah, um, exactly. it's nice to think about all of us in this together as a community. So, yeah. So I didn't feel, I didn't feel too much guilt about asking colleagues to cover uh, just a little bit. Yeah. So, well, okay, this was great. I really, uh, I learned a lot here. I think there's a lot of great info for uh, folks who have not even begun to think about this process for them to digest. And even if today they don't need to process it in when the time is right, when they're being um, called upon to make these decisions, um, this uh, episode I think will be great reference for them. So thank you very much, yeah, Carrie, you. for your thoughts and your time and sharing it with our audience. Yeah, my pleasure. And, uh, great. Thank you. And uh, look forward to chatting soon. Yep. Same. All right. Take care, Carrie. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. If you like today's podcast and want to hear more, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have a question you'd like to be discussed on a future podcast, send it to enlightenedpractice at luminello.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time.